And that is Warsaw, or Warsaw, excuse my uh, Polish, from David Bowie's Low album, which is um, John Fardy's, I suppose, pretty appropriate choice for the uh, the cultural t- uh, toolbox this week. Uh, John, you're very welcome. Thank you, Shane. Uh, you were a Bowie fan, I take I, it. I know you were because we've covered some of his albums. I was going to say to you, I had, a, I had a bad week. I spilled coffee on a train station platform that I just bought on Tuesday or Wednesday. I had a row with a friend of mine. I didn't suffer the uh, slings and arrows very well this week. And I realised it all went back to Monday morning when I, I read an email from Henry McKean saying he was doing a report about Bowie. And I thought, why is he doing a report about Bowie? And then I started reading The Wire, so to speak. And I just, you know, I think Paul Gambaccini said it. There was a melancholia around the place all week. And I really felt it. It's, it's such a shame. But it's, you know, it's time to celebrate some of the great music that we just heard there. Yeah, you've covered other albums of yeah. his on the cultural toolbox before was it um, was it what do we do hunky dory was it uh, I think we might have done that a long time ago and we also did the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars okay and we could have done another one I mean there's you know four or five of them could easily go in and this week I've chosen low yeah uh, you know one uh, of the famous Berlin trilogy indeed indeed you see Bowie was in the mid seventies he he run out of steam. You know, personally, mostly, he was heavily addicted to cocaine and he said he'd come face to face with kind of calamitous drug use and you get the impression he was really near the end and he he had to get out of L.A. as he saw it. So he said famously, and he was very good at this kind of, you know, self-hyperbole and he admitted that he did that all the time but he moved from the cocaine capital of the world to the heroin capital of the world and went to Berlin. But thankfully, he never got into heroin by his own admission. Iggy Pop... uh, who joined him was struggling with heroin. But he needed to be in a place, not where nobody didn't know him, but where nobody cared. And he said in Berlin, you know, they didn't give a damn that he was this rock star. They really didn't care. And he moved into this down-at-heel place, lived above an auto parts store in a Turkish emigrant neighbourhood and just soaked up. And I mean, this was the mid-70s. This was, you know, the height of a divided city and it was the right time for him. And he says to this day, you know, he made three albums here famously, They, you know, they call them the Berlin Triptych or whatever, that his DNA... His musical DNA is in those three albums. And in the album that they released a couple of years ago, without any fanfare that just dropped in the world, the next day, it had that song in it, Where Are We Now? And and he references this time in his life. So it was an incredibly important time. It was the linchpin between, you know, the Ziggy period and the Aladdin Sane and and who he went on to be, really, you know? Yeah, uh, the kind of plastic soul stuff he was doing in the 80s. Um, I mean, look, it's it's an album that gets cited an awful lot. It clearly was hugely influential on a lot of people. Hugely, and yeah. It also had its influences. I mean, there was, there's, I mean, that song we played, um, Warsaw or Warsaw, or whatever, yeah. however you pronounce it. I mean, there's a very, there's an East European kind yeah, of nineteen seventies communist yeah. thing, and then there's the whole Kraftwerk thing or whatever. I listened to it quite a bit in the last day or two. Yeah, it's not an easy listen. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I mean, the thing is, you know. It's not Let's Dance or it's not Rebel Rebel. There aren't immediate hooks. But you have to remember in the 70s, this was incredible music to hear for the first time. You see, you came of age or we... We've come of age in the era of bands like LCD Sound System and, you know, Fleet Foxes. And there's all these other bands who've been so influenced by this period of Bowie. You know, the use of a synthesizer, the way he used it in this album, was kind of incredible for the time. The idea of not just using guitars and using, you know, blips and beeps yeah. and creating sonic landscapes. That's all part of the parcel nowadays. Yeah, well, but we, it should, we, should, say, back we then. should say it was released actually last Friday, last Thursday, 
39 years ago. Yeah. The 14th of January 1977, which also happened to be my 8th birthday. But uh, there you go. Wow. What a birthday, That's what a whole birthday other present. day's What a work. birthday present from Bowie. <laughs> um, and Brian Eno's influence, obviously, is, is, is huge in this. Yeah, it, it was probably Eno's influence, you know, Bowie has said, and Bowie said a lot of things, God rest him, but that it was probably overstated. I think more influential was his longtime producer, Tony Visconti. Visconti had this thing called a harmonizer, an event hide harmonizer, something like that, that altered the drum sound. Now, people thought it was a drum machine, but it wasn't. They, they had a great drummer playing, but they did these kind of effects on it that made it sound almost like a drum machine. And apparently people used to ring him up all the time going, how did you make that sound? And he wouldn't tell them. The, basically, the album's almost divided into two parts. I was going to say, an album of two halves, which all Very, albums were, of course, back then. Yes, but this is really that. The song you heard there, Wasoy or Wasoy or whatever pronunciation we're going to give it, began the second half of four songs, which were kind of... Almost instrumentals, but Bowie's on them, but his lyrics are to the left of centre, they're distant. When they do come in, you're not quite sure what he's saying. You know, they're, I don't want to say they're rubbish or they're doggerel, but it's hard to hear a lot of the time. But, now that might sound, oh, art school, you know, nonsense. Yeah, is it not a little bit? No, I, I, and I can't necessarily explain why, which isn't great for a critic, but... Soon as you start listening to it, it really takes you to another place. It takes you to that middle European kind of communism, nightclub vibe, vaguely decadent, vaguely kind of sick. Yeah, I am Brought a kinky fellow kind of yeah. vibe. Brought you know? to you from the, the boy from Brixton, basically. Yeah, yeah. And But then the first half is kind of more traditional songs but at the same time kind of. I wouldn't go yeah, overboard yeah but that they're one. not songs with choruses they're, they're not songs with immediate hooks why, why don't I give you an example one of the great songs on the first side is Always Crashing in the Same Car which according to Bowie and his entourage at the time was in the written about an event in LA where he saw a drug dealer I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm sure Bowie would find it humorous that we're laughing at this now, who he felt had ripped him off. So he crashed into him in his car <laughs> to repay how much he'd overcharged him for cocaine. And then in a weird, strange event, started driving around his hotel car park in a circle for hours. Anyway, this is called uh, Always Crashing in the Same Car. Every chance. Yeah, that's uh, always crashing in the same car. Not exactly the most radio-friendly of, of sounds. No, but it, it was a, It was a big hit. Uh, it was, a, I think, it was number two in the UK. Yeah, album, I mean, Park kind 10, of so. remarkable. You yeah. Know? Okay. In terms of Bowie and his legacy, I mean, where does this oh, album fit in? Do you yeah, think? I was going to say, what's Bowie's legacy? I was going to say, where do you start? This probably, if you've, if you don't know your Bowie, this probably isn't the place to start. It's probably Hunky Dory or The Rising Fall of Ziggy Stardust or even Scary Monsters. But this is probably the place to end up. To me, this is 
one of, if not the highest watermark of his career, because it was such, you know, a different kind of album. And the thing is, it's not easy at first, but after you've listened a few times, you never forget it. You really don't. It's, it's with you all your life. And the hairs in the back of my neck are kind of standing up, just listening to some of those songs, probably in light of what happened last Monday morning. Yeah, well, absolutely. No, it was a, a definitely a sad loss for yeah. uh, for the, the world of music. Okay, we're, we're going to play out with... Um, Sound and Vision, probably the most radio-friendly. It's a song you'll, you'll probably recognise. But, recognize but also, if you listen to it, not a particular standard song there isn't an obvious verse chorus kind of dynamic he doesn't come in for over a minute you know yeah okay uh, listen that's our lot uh, thanks Thank great, great choice uh, for this week interesting choice uh, for this week not an easy album maybe but as John says maybe worth uh, persevering with uh, just time for me to thank uh, Aidan McKelvey who asserts a big bully fan of course himself and uh, Stephen Jordan who produced Off the Ball is up next the album is low we're going to play out with uh, the song Sound and Vision and David Bowie have a great Sometimes About sound and vision